let's do it. Vocal exercise. <laughs> Welcome to Noclip. I'm Chad Rutherman. I'm JJ Artemis. And I'm Andy Kinnick. And today we're going to be talking about The Legend of Zelda, The Minish Cap, which was a game that was developed by Capcom and Nintendo and was released in 2004 on the Game Boy Advance. And it's a Zelda game. <laughs> Got all the information out of the way. That's a good description of this. It's a Zelda game. It is definitely a Zelda game. Um, so interestingly, I feel like the thing that we have to start off with, because like I can't imagine it coming up later, mm-hmm. uh, is that this was this game was primarily developed by Capcom. And not only that, but it's kind of like Capcom and uh, Flagship, I think is the name of, like, the the co-developer, and Nintendo mostly just kind of watched over it and made sure they didn't go too (laughs) wacky with it. Um, I was really shocked when that title screen came up. I didn't know any of the Zeldas uh, were, like, developed outside of Nintendo's immediate purview. And then Googling it later, apparently, like, a lot of them, like Oracle of Seasons or something, was Capcom 2. Ages and Seasons, and maybe Link's Awakening, but I don't remember. I'm I'm not 100 percent and I'm not going to look it up. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah, but it's mostly the uh, the handheld versions of the games. Like they wouldn't let somebody else touch like uh, main series, the entry. real Zelda games. <laughs> the real Zelda. Uh-huh. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, so we've talked about we've talked about weirdly one Zelda game every calendar year since we've started uh, the Wind Waker, uh, Majora's Mask. Uh, Breath of the Wild, and now the Minish Cap, uh, meaning that this is the first Zelda game that we've talked about that is, like, in the 2D style. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I feel like that actually sort of, like, that me- meshed with what Capcom knows how to do weirdly well. Like, the sprite work in this game is astonishingly good, at least in my opinion. Yeah, and a lot of, like, the backgrounds and, like, the detailing, uh, especially... Yeah, this was a really old Game Boy Advance game. I know we're talking about like two thousand and four, like at some kind of you know like <laughs> modern inclination. But uh, I only I only have a really good idea in my head of the like golden years of the Game Boy Advance because it was so common for them to put the trademarks with the years on the cover screens of like every Game Boy Advance game. This is so true. I, I literally had just like like Fire Emblem two thousand and one Anchor Point. Like what? How close or far were games from that? Uh, and so they were clearly, technologically speaking, pushing the Game Boy Advance beyond what a lot of people probably even thought were possible for it at the time. Yeah. I was shocked to find, like, consistent voice lines. Granted, voice lines I've heard way too many times in my life at this point, but still, like, to have little, like, Link hayas all over the place in this game really threw me for a loop. Yeah. Yeah, all of the, the aesthetic qualities of this game, we, we can get into that immediately, more or less, because why not, uh, are really well executed on. The fact that they're, like, they put in god rays, and, like, the way that they, they do the, the scale down, like, the when your insect size link, <laughs> like, areas all look really good, all yeah. well designed. Like, you can kind of see through it, like, when you're playing, like, you're looking at it, you're just like, that leaf is obviously a texture, and, like, this has the exact same properties as everything else. I'm just walking across a flat plane. But if you don't want to be lame <laughs> about it, it looks beautiful. Yeah, it didn't help that we played it on a TV. 
True. The two of us. Yeah, I'll tell you, playing this on the Game Boy Micro, it was like peering into a tiny fairy tale. I was like <laughs> looking down at a Jack and the Beanstalk painting or yeah. something. Ideally, what you could do if it had like the the Kindle, like share your page number between devices thing, <laughs> is you would play regular mode on the TV, and then every time you shrunk down, you'd pull out the Game Boy Micro, <laughs> and then have that. Gamepad's still a little bit too big. Mm-hmm. Yeah, see, I thought it looked pretty good on the gamepad. Like, it was like the difference between, like, looking at it on the TV for a while, it's like you were, had been accidentally watching a YouTube video set to, like, 240p, and then you changed it to, like, 720, and it's mm-hmm. like, oh, wow, this looks a lot better when mm-hmm. I look down here at this oh, gamepad. Game uh, the, the, the larger... Like the scaled up, so this is now a review of we use virtual console, <laughs> but in the virtual console, like I feel like when they scale up, games obviously fare better or worse depending on how they were designed. But I, I felt like the TV actually made this game feel more like vibrant because, like, I don't know, it was like the bigger pixels allowed there to be like the the colors to really come through more. Yeah. Don't quote me on this, because I feel like I heard this, like, years and years ago, and don't know if it's true, uh, but I heard that whatever, however the Wii U emulates games, like, the on the virtual console, like, it puts kind of, like, a gray, uh, like, tint over everything for some reason, and, like, the colors don't come through as nice, and a lot of people don't like it. Yeah, I'll, I'll tell you what, like... It was quite vibrant for me on the smallest screen ever <laughs> released in, by Nintendo's hands. Yeah. Uh, yeah, like, I think colorful is just in this game's nature, and gray tint or not, that color is going to shine through. Yeah. It's too adorable to do otherwise. Yeah, and a lot of that comes from the fact that they largely borrowed the art direction from the Wind Waker for this. Yeah. Which yeah. is something I wanted to touch on, uh, the fact that... This game pulls a lot from, like, pretty obviously from other Zelda games. That's an argument you could probably make about, like, the majority of Zelda games. I feel like it's different in this game's case. Like, I feel like when Nintendo handle the games themselves, Mm -hmm. it feels like a lot of effort goes into, like, keeping a lot of the same elements but making everything feel very different and, like, its own belonging to its own title whereas this game felt more like nintendo handed a list of like element like uh elements that go in a zelda game to capcom and they like just kind of ported them over as they are it's like the difference between taking what zelda games normally do is they take a certain amount of set characters and situations and reinterpret them through a different kind of thematic lens. Mm -hmm. Like, if you're looking at Twilight Princess or Skyward Sword, like, there are a lot of scenes in that game, especially since they're pretty close to each other, that are trying to depict kind of the same moments, but are wildly different just because of the general aesthetic style of the game. Like, how colorful and kind of bloomy that Skyward Sword is comparatively. But what this game, Minish Cap, is doing is, like, trying to port the exact aesthetic style of Wind Waker into the Game Boy Advance. Like, it's not trying to take its take on the the tropes of Wind Waker. Like, it just has the king from Wind Waker in it. Yeah, it does. And But I feel like 
I'm trying. I guess I'm maybe I'm giving the game more credit than it needs, but I'm I'm trying to like kind of work this out as as I'm thinking about it. Yeah, and yeah. I'm not even necessarily saying it is a huge negative. It's just something that really stood out to me. Right. See, because I, I feel like the uh, there are certain character designs that are literally from Wind Waker. The Moblins really only look like they do in this game and the Wind Waker like sub franchise. <laughs> uh, the yeah, the king is there. Uh, the well, I don't know what they're called. The little flying guys. Little the, flying guys. Little, there are many they, flying. Men. In this game, they drop bombs. In Wind oh. Waker, they just kind of like I know fly what, menacingly toward you. I know Peace? what you're talking about. No, those are bats. They're like the things that are in the Forest Haven Temple. Yeah. I know what you're talking about. I have no fucking idea what they're called. Yeah. Right. Right. <laughs> those guys uh, look exactly the same as they do in Wind Waker, but yeah, and you got things like the Postman from Ocarina and the mm-hmm. Biggeron from Ocarina, and things that are like directly taken from other games, yeah. and it just it. It stood out to me, and I didn't. I don't know if I would have picked up on it as strong if I didn't already know the game was made by a different studio or not. Right. But it's one of those things where it's like, this game really feels like it was made by a different team than the usual one. I would also like to point out that we praised the reuse of assets in the Majora's Mask episode, <laughs> like, not even six months ago. We were like, it's really, I can't wait to see them do, like, another thing like this. <laughs> well, that's... <laughs> That's completely different because of the context of the game, whereas Majora's Mask, like, that was baked into the themes. It was creepy that you were seeing things that you knew in a different and alienating light. Like, Oh, you, you didn't find Minish Cap to be just, like, deeply unsettling? <laughs> no. Nah. I frankly didn't find Minish Cap to be much of anything. I'm frankly shocked you've gotten me to talk about this game as much as I already have on the, like, <laughs> ten minutes that we've been recording. Yeah. Uh, I This is, like... A podcast red alert for me. Uh, this is really <laughs> the worst situation I could possibly begin to talk about a game because I feel like this is the most like, yeah, it was all right thing I've ever played in my entire life, and everything <laughs> that it does, it is taken from somewhere else. It's like an amalgamate. It's like Thanksgiving leftovers. Like it's just a bunch <laughs> of stuff piled together and put in a microwave, and you're like, this is kind of shallow imitation of what it once was, but it's still good and certainly better than other things I'd be doing much, much, much. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like that's kind of what it comes down to with a lot of the 2D Zelda games, if I'm being, like, honest. I felt sort of a similar thing to... And this is going to get me crucified, actually, now I'm thinking about it. You're about to shit on Link to the Past? No, I'm about to shit... Oh, no, never. That's, like, my fourth favorite Zelda game. Oh, thank Uh, God. (laughs) uh, No, I'm about to shit on the Oracle games. Uh, Like, I found that this game did... This game and the Oracle games have a lot of parallels in, like, their design. Um, Not mechanically or aesthetically or anything like that, but in, like, strictly the way that the games are laid out and the way that each of the games takes from previous games and remixes them and makes them into a new thing uh and i think this game just did it better like this game is probably in my top list of handheld zelda games and i've played nearly all of them now Mm -hmm. uh with the exception of like spirit tracks and i didn't play ages i only played oracle of seasons so maybe ages just fucking blows seasons out (laughs) of the water i don't know uh (laughs) Like a podcast, please. <laughs> How dare you shit on Oracle of Ages and or Seasons? 
<laughs> yeah, I felt kind of similar to you, JJ, but like way, 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 way more mild on it. Like I, I found this game to be a little bit like unremarkable as well, but I foresaw that it would be really interesting to talk about it because of that. Yeah. Who is the more milder? The man who has a mild opinion about being mild or the man who has a strong <laughs> opinion about being mild? Mild opinion about being yeah, mild. Yeah, that's true mild. <laughs> yeah. You're like You're chaotic, chaotic mild. mild. <laughs> Understood. Uh, <laughs> um, we were talking about the aesthetics. And while I, wanna, I do want to talk about how much I liked them uh, overall, like just the way that it was implemented, because they did adapt the style of the... Wind Waker. Yeah, pretty, the pretty directly. Is, is, is still good. Right. Yeah, but they did a remarkably good job of it considering how, like, what a downgrade in hardware that they were working with. And I think that was our overall thrust in that conversation. But now I do kind of want to talk about my... This is, like, the one thing that I wanted to, to stage a whole conversation about on this episode. Yeah. Uh, and I wasn't sure exactly when it would come up, but this, this seems like the perfect opportunity. Because uh, the game did do a couple things new, things that Zelda games typically don't do, and in 2004 maybe hadn't done at all before. And I wanted to bring up the Kinstone pieces uh, as just like a concept, and I know that this opinion is not <laughs> shared by at least Andy. Mm -hmm. I love the Kinstones. Like, I think it's a great mechanic. Why? Uh Mo okay, more specifically, I love the idea of the kinstones. I don't think the execution was flawless. Okay. But the fact that they have that they give you another collectible, which I think is weird to say given my, like, history with, like, collectibles and crafting and shit in games and how much I generally dislike it, mm -hmm. I feel like Zelda needs additional collectibles. Wind Waker did it well with the Spoils Bag, and I think this game does it well with kinstones to some extent. Uh, because there's just, like, an abundance of shit that you do in between, like, your town stops in all Zelda games. And this game, it kind of, like, almost, like, doubles or triples that because there's only the one town, so you have to, like, very specifically go back to it. Yeah. I also like the concept on paper, but I think the execution is terrible. Because... <laughs> um, well, it has the problem that a lot of Zelda games had up to this point, whereas every time you find them, he holds it above his head and he goes, ah, and which built, a built up a lot of resentment in me. I'm like, oh, <laughs> fucking Kinstone piece. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> Who gives a shit? This uh, will be the topic of a whole other discussion <laughs> later. Um, so, but uh, I, I, it just, it feels too clunky and like there's too many steps. Like, I, I like the concept of getting a collectible that opens up some more content in the mm -hmm. overworld. But, like, you have to get the kinstone pieces, then you have to go find a person to use it with, you have to, like, mash A through dialogue that's uninteresting for it to then show you a little cutscene of a thing happening in the overworld, and it marks it on your map, and you go to it, and then you do the thing, and then probably get some more kinstone pieces <laughs> or some shells. All right. right. So, like, the rewards aren't great, and the implementation is really slow. I so. want to point out, 
one thing, and that is, it takes a really long time to run to the nightmare headstone. Yes. <laughs> but even you are over-exaggerating how complicated the system well, is. Well, it's not that it's super complicated. It's just, like I said, the rewards aren't great, and it's just the same thing over and over again. Yeah. And there's like hundreds, it's, or it's, maybe a hundred. There is one hundred. There's one hundred. It just, it's, it just gets really tedious. Yeah, the the problem that it has is the same problem that the treasure charts have in the Wind Waker, uh, which is you find a thing and then what you get out of it is not anything that's particularly like groundbreaking or interesting, mm-hmm. uh, and that is the part of the execution that is bad. The other part of the execution that is bad is that uh, they have, like, a weird rarity system, but it means nothing at all. Because the green ones are supposed to be the common ones, but unless you're cutting every piece of grass in the whole world, you're just always running out of them. But the way that it does work, I think, is that you just collect them constantly throughout the whole game and then you just check with everyone to see if you have the thing for them and most of the time you do and you don't actually have to talk to them at all you just go and press l and then you do the thing right then you do have to watch cutscene. that's a big negative right (laughs) yeah Yeah, the comparison to the the treasures in the wind waker uh is a really good one because i remember in that game checking islands a bunch in like the first third and then getting tired of showing up to an island and just getting a purple rupee and then I just stopped doing it after a while. Right. And it was the same thing for me with the kinstones where it was like I did it for the first little chunk of the game and then I'm like uh <laughs> and then just stopped doing it. And then t- so much so that I forgot how it worked. I forgot that you had to hit the L button to do it. And you get to a part later in the game where you need to fuse a gold one with a wall mm-hmm. to open a temple. And I'm, like, Googling frantically, like, trying to figure out, like, how do you, like, do I not have the right one? And before I finally remember, like, oh, yeah, you just hit L. You hit the L button. It's a GBA game. You had four buttons. Well, it's like I, like thought, six. I thought that I didn't have the right piece. It's not, like... If I knew that I had the right stuff, I would have then tried to mash all the buttons and would have figured mm. it out. But, you know, that was my fault. A little bit, yeah, I would say. A hundred percent, but... Speaking of clunky things, the fact that this game has, like, functionally four to six buttons, you can really tell. they It's a lot of menu navigation that kind of became grating on me not anything crazy like i was a kid once too i had to do this for ocarina of time i'm gonna say yeah like this is to to me this is some of the best zelda menu implementation (laughs) that that we've ever seen but i think that's just aided by the fact that the processing power required to pull up the menu isn't so great like if uh like if you compare the old shitty ocarina of time Mm -hmm. Uh, <laughs> with the new shiny good version of Ocarina of Time on the 3DS, the fact that you can navigate the menus on the touchscreen is just like instantly a huge improvement. Without like that's like that alone makes that game a thousand times more playable. Like in 2019, mm-hmm. uh, and I feel that this game would have benefited from that, obviously, but because it wasn't available, I think what they did was fine. Yeah. Uh, it's probably I don't remember exactly how it works in the original Wind Waker, like how quick and easy it is, but it might have been the best implementation up to this point. Right. This is my first 2D Zelda game. In all of those games, 
do you have to equip the shield like it's an item? No. Okay. Because it's a 3D game. You yeah. just kind of have it on you at all times. And you, like, hold it out. And he puts it on his back. Because mm-hmm. you can clearly see that. Because there's a dedicated button for the shield. Yeah. It's like they put it on the elb- the trigger. This is not a hardware limit. You had a shield in front of you at all times in The Legend of Zelda for the NES. Oh, that's true. Yeah, here's here's where I think the design on the shield got a little bit fucked up. Is they? Uh, I should have even thought about that. They, yeah, it's because you've never used the shield in this game because they wanted the shield to do more stuff, and so they couldn't just have it out because it would be way too strong. They'd have to make enemies like do crazy things to avoid it. Now that I've thought about it, uh-huh. I feel like I didn't really notice because I kind of forget about the shield in A Link to the Past anyway. It's like, it's always out and you have to just be like not moving for it to be active, right? right? So as a result... That's how it was in the original. Yeah, yeah. Like I well. never end up taking advantage of it. So like I didn't even notice it. And I think maybe the team was trying to account for that sort of thing by mm-hmm. like... You make it an item, and you have to, like, hold a button to activate it. Right. Well, what it is is it's not that they were afraid people wouldn't take advantage of it. It's that in The Legend of Zelda, the shield's purpose was to block projectiles, and that's all that it could do. If something came up and hit you from the front, you still took damage. In this game, if you're holding the shield and get hit by anything from the front, it blocks it, and and you don't take damage. So in order to make it so that you weren't invincible... Uh, they made it an item and gave it the ability to do all this other cool stuff. Like, you could reflect things with it. The mirror shield probably has other properties, but as you guys are aware, I didn't <laughs> quite fucking get it because all those dang-ass gor- Gorons <laughs> punching the dang old rocks. But, uh, so that's cool. But, yeah, that's where I think that they, they may have... They, they could have done something to make the shield a little bit yeah. more, like, usable. It's just... This game has so little free space in terms of, like, item selection Mm -hmm. that I feel like they should have tried everything in their power to get as many features on your fingertips as the GBA would allow. The select Mm -hmm. button, I think, is the only thing that wasn't, like, readily used at all times. As is the the want of the select button. Yeah, yeah, but, like, the select button... If you, like, as the the gaming historian that I am, <laughs> a.k.a. someone who has played an NES game, mm-hmm. like, the select button was used for a purpose pretty specifically for years and years, mm-hmm. and uh, then just, like, kind of fell out of favor. I feel like if they had mapped the select button to a second item so that when you press the select button, it just swapped out the item that was in your A button slot mm-hmm. with whatever was on the select button, it would have been, like, it would have made so much, so much smoother and easier. Yeah, it, it really feels like it's hurting for, like, an extra D-pad or something to map <laughs> right. things to. Yeah, like, the, what do they call it? The C-pad on the N64? What the hell was oh, the yeah, the C-buttons. Yeah, whatever. Uh, the, or the C-pad. They're pad-like. I don't think that it was ever called a C-pad. <laughs> they're they're <laughs> pad-like buttons. They have arrows on them in four cardinal directions. This is yeah, true. but they were just kind of regular buttons. But they were buttons. They were buttons <laughs> in the mask of a D-pad. Mm. They were on the other side of the controller. Like I'm, but... I'm aware. I'm aware of where the C buttons anyway, were. And <laughs> they weren't connected. No. Isn't that kind of what makes the D-pad a D-pad? Oh right, the D-pad is connected. Well, the you C can take off. If you take off most like D-pads, even these days, I remember people complained about this with the 360. Well, you will find below 
is four separate distinct buttons. It is a ruse. Yeah, but, I mean, it feels completely different to have the... Because, like, with the Switch, it's four buttons, and it feels way different than a regular D-pad. Okay. But anyway, this is dumb. <laughs> also <laughs> worse, in my opinion. I feel like I like the the pivot ability of yeah. the D-pad, like, with the cross plastic on it. It is mm-hmm. the utility, yeah. Yeah. Anywho, the reason that I uh, that, that it is cumbersome to have to go into the menu to switch items is a downside to one of the things that I think that this game does best in its design, which is all of its, like, dungeons really require the use of a lot of different items. Like, way more than in most traditionally, like, good Zelda games. And even if you guys were pretty, like, lukewarm on the game overall, I feel like that has to stand out as being, like, one of the best things that this game did. Yeah, I think they did a really great job with incorporating, like, some different items as well. Mm -hmm. Like, the cane item and the gust jar were both new uh, additions in this game, and they complement the existing item set pretty well. Like gust jar especially, that would be my favorite item in the game. It's my least favorite item in the game, but we'll get to that. <laughs> uh, are the mole mitts not introduced in this? Oh, the mole mitts too, yeah. Yeah, because I like the. I was trying to go back through my catalog here, <laughs> and I'm pr- pretty sure that the last time that I saw the mole mitts was in Skyward Sword. Yeah, this was years and years. Skyward later. Sword, yeah, takes the the mole mitts and the Gus jar basically. Yeah, with the and, Gus bellows and, and does a riff on them. Mm-hmm. So. Mish cap, <laughs> looking pretty good on the item front. Uh, but yeah, now it is nice um, that they required like the use of the gust jar all the way throughout the game, even though it's like the first one you get. Right. And it, in the the cane too is used all throughout the game as well. Yeah. Yeah, the, those those two stood out to me. I love that cane item, and I wish that that was, <laughs> there was like more of a. Uh, an applicability of it. Like, I would like to see that in other... Like, well, can you imagine that in Breath of the Wild, how amazing that item would be? To be able it, to flip shit over? It, feel, yeah. it feels really reminiscent of the Deku mask from Majora's Mask, mm-hmm. how you can pop down in the flowers and shoot And out. shoot back up, yeah. But it has, like, other utility right. glued to it. I mean, so does the Deku I like, mask. I wouldn't but... be surprised if maybe that's where, like, the inspiration for it came from. Yeah, like, just we need something. And the way that they used, like, holes as a thing in this game is actually something that you I don't think that you really see in Zelda games as often. Holes? Hole, they just used like them holes as, in the ground? Yeah, they used them, at least my favorite way, they used them as a way of gating things. Like, mm-hmm. it would be a hole with a boulder on the other side. And you, and you had to it. push it in from the other side, and it opens up a little shortcut. Right, and there were chests that were on pegs that yeah. you would push into the holes. You it's, can use them to jump, hide from stuff. Yeah, it's a more organic way to gate things than to just plop an NPC yeah. in your way. Yeah, they really made the most out of, like... Every not maybe not everything they put in the game, but they made the most that they could out of a lot of the stuff in the game. Yeah, it's like as much as we kind of like sort of criticized it in our opening spiel. Uh, you can really tell that they like gave it their all when designing this game. Like it, like um, like I said in our Eternal Darkness episode, like when playing that game, it, like, you could just really feel, like, how much the team cared and really tried to deliver 
what they thought was a cool and fun game. I think you get a similar feeling from Minish Cap, where, like, Capcom really tried to live up to, like, the Nintendo Zelda standard here. Mm -hmm. And you can really feel the effort. I I agree completely. I don't want to make my opinion as clear as possible. I have nothing against Thanksgiving leftovers. Like, my (laughs) overall opinion of this game is, like, it's fine. I don't think there's that much to criticize here. It does a lot of things well. It just doesn't do pretty much anything exceptionally well. Uh, and while I agree that people clearly cared about the product here and that it shows most prominently in the aesthetics, like they cared in the way that a middle schooler trying to Google their own like webcomic for the first time cared. I remember the first time. That's a little bit too degrading. <laughs> <As> <laughs> I like your metaphors are like, no, what I want to make clear is that I liked it. <laughs> but... It's kind of like if somebody just shit on the walls <laughs> yeah. and it's like took if... a photograph of it and then mailed it It's like it if to a me. junior high student tried to program a AAA game. Yeah, it's, <laughs> like <laughs> it's like the worst thing I've ever played in my life. My point is that if, if you imi- microwaved it and then dumped it in the garbage and ate it with chopsticks. It is an imitation. That's what middle schoolers imitate every Everything. That's all mm. that middle schoolers ever do is just that and yell and be confused and I feel imitate like that's things. A caveat that needed to be like stated up front. <laughs> yeah, yeah, did not yeah. come through. But yeah, yes, my bad. It's but okay. yeah, it's just it's not trying to care about being its own unique take with the opportunity. It's trying to exactly mimic the things that have come before it. And I've played all of those things many times. Yeah, and I think like maybe their idea was let's take the main like core design of a link to the past and try and integrate a lot of the stuff they've introduced in the 3d games because i I felt that a lot whereas like you have a companion character they have the more uh personality filled castle town mm-hmm. and like stuff to do like linear progression of things to do in between dungeons like it really felt like it tried to pull more recent design into the 2d space yeah i, I feel like they wanted to take the zelda game formula the way that that a zelda game is designed and take what are sort of the most common criticisms and try to address them uh, they obviously didn't do the whole, like, you get an item in the dungeon and they use that item to beat the boss thing. Mm-hmm. But they did, you know, they, they incorporated more items into the puzzle solving. It wasn't just one item and then a second item later, mm-hmm. um, which does require more menuing and stuff like that. And they tried to make the NPCs a little bit more interesting. They tried to do things that, like, people would commonly complain yeah. about in an old Zelda game. There are a few, like, select areas where it felt like they focused on a lot, whereas, like, some things that stood out to me were, like, a couple of the dungeons worked a little bit different. Like, I like that in the ice dungeon... Mm-hmm temple of droplets or whatever yeah you get the boss key right away and then it proceed to enter into the boss room where the boss is frozen and then you have to do like a bunch of puzzles to melt it right. which is pretty cool yeah that was cute there were a lot of things this game did that made me think oh that's cute the chew boss like the very mm-hmm. first big old chew man like yeah that was a <laughs> the that chew was man the, the chew man group yeah <laughs> i was like oh this is this is funny i care about chews that was, but that was that was it. See, I think the what they did with that temple was more noteworthy than that. Well, that also <laughs> like so. because it's, they... it's it's just like an interesting little riff on the 
the dungeon formula. Yeah, especially like the forest dungeon, which would tend the the fact that they were like, let's shrink you down immediately and have you be small length for the entire thing mm-hmm. allowed them to go a little bit crazier with the aesthetics of yeah. it. Uh, it. It just worked out pretty well uh, overall. The thing that the 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 frozen boss made me think of is what kind of weird logic the people who build the temples in Zelda games <laughs> use where they like they put a door in and they're like this is the boss door we're going to put the boss key on it even <laughs> though that actor I clearly wasn't supposed to be there yeah how did he get inside <laughs> it's just like a tiny dot like cuz the temple itself is is very small built by the minish presumably mm-hmm. uh and then the actor I just seemed to like wander on in and get frozen because it was like that was the element that was there. Uh, Are we really doing this right now? I'm Are we just... really having a conversation on this podcast about why Zelda dungeons don't conform to the, like the priorities of rational building constructors? <laughs> yeah, you're not supposed to think about that, Chad. I know. <laughs> what I'm thinking of more specifically that is this how the Octa Rock get inside. And the but he knew <laughs> that it was going to be beyond the boss door because it seems like in every other scenario, in every other Zelda game, yeah. consistently, uh, yeah. when you open the boss door. Then there's the boss. The boss lives there. It's like they put a wall on the boss's house and said, here's where the boss is. Uh And they locked it because he's a dangerous guy. This is just an Octorok that just happened to wander the fuck in. Like, this is a weird place for him to be. Maybe there's a different boss who escaped. I've never really gotten... This is a weird rabbit hole to go down. Different tiny boss? I've never gotten the impression that the bosses have always lived in the temples they inhabit. Oh, no, it's almost 100%. It's the only way to make it I feel like all the bosses just kind of wander into their temples long after they've been ruined. Well, some of the bosses are, like, part of the temples. Right, okay, with some yeah, exceptions. like Bongo Bongo. Like, that dude doesn't <laughs> yeah. just, like, ro- roam around. Well, he's you know? in, like, a weird shadow abyss. Yeah. So. <laughs> like, he lives there. Yeah. So they put talking the door about- <laughs> Whatever. I don't know who Bongo Bongo is. I'm sure yeah, I've seen Ocarina him before. Time Shadow Temple boss. I don't care. Bongo Bongo. <laughs> he hangs from the ceiling, and he has disembodied Rayman hands to play Bongo. Yeah, that guy. Sure. Whatever. Like, the fire dragon guy, like, seems like he just, like... He has, like, the ideal habitat in for him. Volvagia. Volvagia. Well, he is specifically stated to live in the volcano. Right, yeah. Yeah. But anyway, I'm, I'm glad we have you here. But anyway, no. let's stop talking about this. Nope, nope. <laughs> One more thing needs to be said. For Chad's peace of mind, Yes. assuming Octoroks conform <laughs> to most octopus rules, mm-hmm. like assuming most of the things you can say about octopi Good pull. Good pull. are <laughs> true of Octoroks, they can get in some real fucking small holes real they, easily. This is true, and they tend to make homes out of things. Mm-hmm. So yes, maybe this Octorak does live there. <laughs> yeah, and yep. he just is one of the regular bosses, mm-hmm. like in the temple. What? I cannot believe we came to like a conclusion <laughs> on that. That is satisfying. Thank you, Chad. And it got to take up like three or four minutes, which is really what I was trying to do in the first place. <laughs> You tactician, you. I know. I'm like a Fire Emblem protagonist over here. Mm-hmm. Do we want to assume that this episode's going to be a little bit short? Take yes. a break here and then come back? Yes. Absolutely. All right. I'm just going to leave all that in. <laughs> Guess what, everybody? We're taking a break.
that was sure a long break. You know what else is, takes a long time? Everything in this game does. Yeah. I really wish the, the break would have been longer now. So you could have preserved the part, part of your life before you heard me say that. Correct. In that bad way. Mm-hmm. Now, as, as bad as you said it, uh, is correct statement. I feel like a lot of things in this game relating to like overworld traversal and uh, things of that nature, like repeated actions you do over and over are just that little bit too like cumbersome and take a little bit too much time to do. I have a list. Yeah. It's just, it's just the rare occasion where I'm on Chad's side about being impatient about stuff. Mm-hmm. All right, so which of these things do you assuredly disagree with that takes too long? Okay. Uh, let's see. Shrinking and growing, uh, charging spin attacks, making copies, charge the Pegasus boots, charge the Gust Pot, watch the Kinstone piece spin all around, changing items. That's where my list ended. Um, I felt like... The shrinking and growing was made okay by the fact that you could skip the little cinematic. Mm-hmm. And I think the Pegasus boots and the Gust Jar are fine. Yeah, the Gust Jar, when I wrote this down originally, I thought that there would be some, like, merit to charging the Gust Jar to, like, red. Uh-huh. But as far as I can tell, there's zero reason to ever do it. So, maybe not, maybe not quite the same. Uh, mm-hmm. But everything else sounded... Like you were correct. Yeah, it just takes so long to do all kinds of stuff. I kind of don't get why in a lot of the later boss battles, they made, like, don't get hit while charging your clones games, like a like the primary mechanical interaction. Yeah. Like, I think they thought that that was an interesting, like, gameplay idea. It like, is like, make your clones and then do some kind of thing with them and don't have any of them disappear like i think they thought that was an interesting challenge i think that i like the clones to be fair Uh i especially like the multiple situations where you have to change the orientation of your clones to match a predetermined pattern that works Mm -hmm. i always thought that was cool i didn't get why that also needed to be like a dodge the balls when your character is four times as wide game Uh because that just you fail at that and oftentimes it doesn't even hurt you you just have to charge it again Mm -hmm. yeah it's really like for me because i I do like the clones a lot as a concept and i like a lot of the puzzles and stuff that they implemented with it but yeah if it literally every single instance of it would have been made a thousand times better if a uh if you clang your sword off of something while you're moving it didn't cancel it yes and two it didn't take so long to charge like, I see no reason why that bar needed to charge for as long as it does. Yeah, it, it is a little bit egregious, like, how <laughs> long it takes to fill that bar up. But, like, it, there's literally no reason for it. Yeah, 99% of the time, so, like, except I mean, like, in one it, instance yeah. during the Manta Ray boss. Yeah, I think it takes, like, a full 10 seconds. It was, I timed it at 6 seconds. Uh, it feels very long. <laughs> you did time this, you I 100% uh, did, t- you were, he was in the room. <laughs> yeah, but I feel like it's more of a, for, for me anyway, like a hitbox issue. There's that one ice puzzle yeah, fuck where, that ice Where puzzle. you have to, like, make the clone and then, like, navigate through some slidey floor mm-hmm. ice thing. And, like, the it's 
they need to give you a little bit more leeway because like you just like bump into something like a little bit it's just like poop gone go back to the beginning <laughs> do it again yeah if navigate I think it's, the icy floor to get back to the right distance yeah uh, yeah if there needs to be like i think ugh, i think if there's a little bit more leeway it wouldn't feel as clunky because the clones are like the clones are this game's ocarina like that or this game's wind waker like it's the thing that this game does allergy of emptiness yeah like it's it's gimmick that makes it different than other Zelda games is that, well, I guess also the shrinking thing, but like right. that's used in a way more like straightforward kind of way. Yeah. Mm-hmm. This is like, this is the primary mechanical thing that this game does that the majority of other Zelda games don't have anything that's similar to with the exception of, as you said, the Elegy of Emptiness. Yeah. Which now, is, and the four sword spinoff series. Right. Which shot this off is a of the Minish Cap. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, but because of that, uh, the fact that they made it just so unfun to engage with is really like its biggest drawback. Because like the rest of the stuff that you do is all fine, and I even like the idea of just putting in like some copy pads in like a regular room, just so you have like so you could use it in combat. Mm-hmm. But you couldn't do that in the current implementation. It would be like the most ridiculous thing. It feels like something that's, like, dying to be implemented on the DS, where you can just touch the different pads where you want to put the links. Yes. Mm -hmm. Exactly that. Yeah. If only that technology had existed, even conceptually at the time. (laughs) But (laughs) there was, like, one of two directions I would have wanted them to go with that clone mechanic. And and one is what we've already talked about, just shrinking the amount of time it takes to do all of this. But if... Once you get the clones, they're resilient. Uh, I feel like the charge time could still be entertaining if successfully executing the charge was itself like an interesting challenge. Like if the later levels were more bullet helly to an extent where like even getting to that charge unmolested was itself like a yeah, cool like thing. The um, the boss fight in the Sky Temple was kind of like that, right, where you yeah. had to dodge. And it was like the one of the projectile. Yeah, one of the only times that I felt like the mechanic was really used in a way that I thought was like good. Yeah, that, that's a highlight. Yeah, for sure. Cool, just idea conceptually, right? Mm-hmm. Like evil manta rays coming to <laughs> yeah, whack your shit. Yeah, yeah, good use of the the cape as well. Yeah, the the cape as an item is very cool. Is that something that was that's been in other Zelda Yeah, games? in. Link's Awakening, you have Rock's Feather, mm-hmm. yeah. which lets you jump. I feel like a big jump is too obvious of a thing for it mm-hmm. to have not existed before. Yeah. Because, uh, yeah, I thought it was neat. I also like the fact that there was, like, a mechanical difference between jumping and gliding, and you could do either one mm-hmm. separately. I, I feel like the fact that it's... And I understand that it, like, destroys traversal. Like, you, you it doesn't work. Like, uh-huh. Zelda traversal does not work if you can fly around. Uh, but... It does kind of suck that it's gated so late in the game because it is, like, probably the best item as far as, like, just feeling good to use. Mm-hmm. Uh, I did want, I did want to, like, at least have a bit of a piece on the dungeons yeah. because I feel like we <laughs> we weirdly skip it all the time when we talk about Zelda games. With yeah. the exception of uh, Breath of the Wild. But that was also, like, a three and a half hour long <laughs> two-episode <laughs> yeah, discussion. So, um I felt like the dungeons in this game were really well designed overall. I think that they were they were intricate. They used a lot of different items, and I thought they were mostly interesting. 
Though I realized that for the majority of people, they're probably a little bit too simple overall. Yeah, I kind of felt similar about these dungeons as I did about the Majora's Masks ones, where I felt like they were a little bit too short and simple. But, I mean, they are well-designed for what they are, though. I didn't feel like they had a lot of the payoff that the end of the Majora's Mask dungeons often did. Yeah. But Majora's Mask has technology on its side there, especially mm-hmm. in, in retrospect now. Yeah. But uh, that kind of leads into another thing that I found interesting. One big nostalgia point with this game and a lot of games on the Game Boy Advance of its ilk is what I'm going to vaguely describe as, like, GBA spectacle. It's something that I, like, weirdly missed in my life and was probably my highlight coming back to this game was being able to put myself in a position like where I was a kid where a Game Boy Advance game was trying to impress me with its, like, technical skills and, like, incredible marveling visuals and creatures. Right. It, it, It seems quaint in a really adorable way that I appreciate it now. Like, is that something that either of you two really sympathize with? Uh, probably not as strongly as you. I didn't own a uh, GBA until, like, really late in its life, so I didn't play a lot of GBA. Uh, but I did hear, uh, in Matthew Matosis's um, Axiom Verge video, he talks about indie games doing a similar thing, where it's like they're running with so much overhead, and it's cool that that game, like, zooms out boss battles and does, like, some things to play with the visuals and your expectations, and I I feel like it's like a similar thing where like it, in the GBA uh, some games were like throw like a cool visual at you like the Minish cat or this game does that with like the when you shrink down to the size of a Minish it's got like the big leaves and stuff <laughs> and like the depth the of field and you're like whoa neat <laughs> uh, and so it's kind of that sort of thing and uh, I do find myself feeling a little nostalgic just stuff like that as well yeah, as far as like pure nostalgia goes i definitely like do get that I've, I've heard you andy describe this sort of as like feeling like going back to a game of an era and i feel like you have that for the like ps3 xbox 360 era not visually but like the style of game mm-hmm. i think it's because you didn't play a lot of games at the time yeah whereas like for me like going back to this game was like revisiting like junior high where I was, because I played a, I played, I probably played more Game Boy Advance. Whether the games in it were Game Boy Advance games is to judge. I don't know, uh, but I've played more Game Boy Advance than I have probably like any other console in the whole world. So going back to Minish Cap, which I somehow did not play when I was a kid, uh, definitely did like call back the the old colorful uh, Nintendo memories. Yeah. I think I just might have a really deep appreciation for good sprite art. Like I'm, it's too much fire emblem in my life to not appreciate like that acorn. Like the freaking air, the acorn in this game is very good. Uh, it's a good. It's acorn. interesting when people do sprite art in like a a different way because there's a, like it's a lot of like straightforward kind of cookie cutter, like simpler sprite design. But when you do something like those like backgrounds and foreground elements in this game like with the acorn and leaves and all that shit it 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 feels almost like a like ps1 pre-rendered backgrounds kind of thing like yes. it just like it looks extra good and yeah. you know like well, it stands the, out yeah because when they shrink by making the gimmick here 
the fact that Link can shrink down, which effectively does nothing different than, like, the Dark World, Light World thing, as far as, like, I mean, it makes Traversal more interesting, but it's just, like, another Zelda, you explore the world in two different ways kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, they did, it did allow them to make some of the sprites really, really big, which lets them put a lot, a lot of detail into them. And so, yeah, like, the doing those, like, little path sections where you're it's like a top down like it's like almost it's zelda galaga where you walk (laughs) forward and like Mm -hmm. it's up and enemies come from the top of the screen Mm -hmm. type thing uh it made those like look particularly spectacular so Mm -hmm. i was a big fan i do want to talk about the minish and this is a real (laughs) stupid note okay the Minish are kind of like every fantasy race mashed together into one, and it's weird. <laughs> Define. They are... For, um, now I'm just reading off of a note because I wrote this down. Uh, they're forest-dwelling insect creatures, and they're like fairies, right? Like uh-huh. the, the Guillermo del Toro sort of traditional fairy tale type fairies. Right. Then they help people, and they're great engineers... <laughs> For some reason, but they don't just like, so they're not like dwarves because dwarves like are specifically, they like have, they know a lot about like coal and rocks and shit. They do have that forge on the volcano. Right. That's what I'm saying. They're everything because they build shit. They make shoes. They they make they can make magical swords to seal the darkness and all this shit. Like they're just good at everything, and they can also only be seen by children, which is another classic fantasy uh, race thing. Mm-hmm. Where does the orc really come out of the minish? <laughs> <laughs> uh, maybe not every fantasy race. Like eighty percent of fantasy of. Let's get 100% of fantasy races that are usually aligned good. They're okay. Usually, they're like, uh, I feel like there's a word for it, but like that kind of family of fantasy creatures. It's like pixies. Fae. Fae. Yeah, the fae. Yeah. They're an amalgamation of those tropes. I think sure. th- what this is, what we're doing right now. But they're also kind of like brownies from well, I D&D. would put them in the same category. Yeah. I, look, we are in our present fantasy inundated like 2019 lifestyle Mm -hmm. we have come from a world in which all of these tropes used to be about like kind of the same stuff then they split up over time into these separate things it's different cultures and stuff and now they're and now we're watching them be refused in front of us Mm. thank god for capcom man (laughs) (laughs) the cultural resurgence that capcom's bringing to the world all i'm saying is that we're treating this like oh man it's so weird that they're all the same thing when Mm -hmm. they're going backwards up the tree instead of further down it like wasn't it tolkien like got like a lot of pushback for even like coming up with the word elves like he created the word elves right yes before this is not things that I no, would even know. It's, elves existed in the sense of that they were like Santa elves or like Keebler elves. That's what I mean. Like I he mean, changed like what they were no, in no, no. his setting. I mean linguistically. Like oh. he added the V. 
Oh, it that used, might be true. His editor kept, if, if I'm remembering this correctly, I believe his editors kept coming back and be like, it's elves with an F. Oh, he did right, it with dwarves right. too. Yeah. Uh, but like, that's the idea is because it used to be okay. elves with an F because they used to be fucking Keebler elves, which are kind of like that, gnomes. Now that yeah. you mention it, I think it is Snow White in the Seven Dwarfs. Yeah, right? Originally, uh-huh. yeah. He made he came in with the Vs, made them all cool and sexy, because they used to all just be branches off this fey gnomey tree mm-hmm. that they're all originating from, which are kind of just the Minish. Yeah. They're they're basically exactly that. And like They've... every time that you've mentioned a new race this whole time, uh-huh. I've been like they're known for this, and the Minish also do that. <laughs> Even, like, the Keebler elves, who are, like... They dress like them. They have the hats. Yeah, yeah, the hats, and they definitely bake cookies, like, 100%. <laughs> the Minish have been baking cookies. Like, yes. there's no reason they, they wouldn't. Uh, your your main sidekick turns out to just be a wizard. He's yeah. just a wizard man. He's a wizard, and he's a, a Minish. Yeah. 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 <laughs> and a hat bird. He's a hat bird Minish wizard. <laughs> Did they ever address the bird part of that? Vadi thought it would be cool. Why does he like like toucans? I, I feel like maybe this is uh, I'm reaching here, mm-hmm. but <laughs> I feel like whenever a character is cursed by like an evil witch or wizard in a fantasy thing, they're either turned into like a frog or a crow. Crow, yeah, Give me like some more crow bird. references. <laughs> Hold on, he's putting you on the spot right now for comedy. I, I, I can't really think of anything specific. Give me a second. The only thing I can think of is, uh, who's that guy? Prometheus? Didn't he get his liver eaten by crows every day? Right. No, no, crows are definitely evolved in <laughs> fantasy literature. Like, like, I can think of some references of people turning themselves into crows to, like, stalk heroes. I feel like I have this, like, specific, like, touchstone, like, but it's, like, vaguely, like, I can't, I can't think of what it is. Someone being Cursed I'm with yeah, crow turn into a crow. I'm, I'm thinking about a talking crow in like a Disney cartoon, mm-hmm. but I might be thinking of the racist crow. Oh, yeah, you're thinking of the racist crows, all yeah. of them. Yeah. Oh, they were from Dumbo. Yeah, yeah. From uh-huh. Dumbo. Yeah. yeah, and other things. I think were they cursed with something other than <laughs> the ability to not age well? <laughs> <sighs> but anyway, let's just move on from this. I'll on. try and Google it. He's definitely a bird looking hat for sure it, it also it just fits with the design of the hat that he's like a little bird beak on the end oh yeah. it's cute i'm mm-hmm. just i'm curious if there was ever some lore that i missed that's something i want to whinge about this game is the most like not even trying to push the envelope in terms of zelda story you can ever get like even by zelda story standards this is just like a hero's tale the story I, the game ended so quickly, like Zelda wasn't even a character, and I've been so used to from my last years of 3D Zelda playing, uh, of Zelda herself being fleshed out in some way, mm-hmm. but she's just like a rock. She's literally a rock for this whole game. Yeah. This isn't yeah. the same as the 100-year fluid nap, <laughs> this is more like yeah. uh, she is just inactive entirely yeah i kind of just expected that going in though yeah that this wouldn't really have that much of a story it actually had more of one than i expected that's true yeah because it it, i don't know i feel like this is a this is a handheld zelda thing a lot of 2d zeldas kind of forego the the people the human beings kind of oh. the but like the the regular zelda story where you know ganondorf gets it reincarnated you go on a big quest 
get all the shit. They want to make it seem like it's less of a of a big adv- like this game is supposed to take place in like an afternoon like they're like go get the elements and link just says like okay and then does <laughs> and then comes back and that's it no, no no i'm pushing back against that it is like a way too common video game trope of like in the game the light never changes the sun never goes down mm-hmm. for game reasons but it's implied that time is passing oh sure sure but i mean i think specifically in this game like nobody nobody ever like moves or leaves their spot this is also this is an old game thing yeah but this is well within the era where that could have happened like majora's mask is like the most complicated time scale system (laughs) video games had at this time but even in ocarina of time like there's a day night cycle and people did different shit at different times i think they just didn't want to bother with it i agree i I don't think this is literally supposed to have taken place in a day (laughs) no okay (laughs) oh okay i don't i'm not even really arguing against that Mm -hmm. i'm saying that it all adds to this overall experience of the game feeling like it isn't the grand adventure that a 3D Zelda game is. It feels more static. And I feel like that is at least somewhat intentional. Very fair, yeah. Also, the time to beat on this game is what, like 10 hours or something? So in that vicinity, yeah. So like if they've already spent like 15 hours in it, but I've been doing like I think it's closer to 15, supposedly. Mm -hmm. If it's on the low side, because I know I didn't do more than 12, well, uh, yeah, I mean, it depends on how much you engage with all the side shit. All right, but yeah. what I mean is that, like, if the th- if the festival was at, like, 9, then <laughs> conceivably... You result- could actually yeah. do it, yeah. Yeah, in real time. <laughs> yeah. They also give you the opportunity to sleep, which is weird. Also, did anybody do the minigame where you sleep and, and a guy inserts monsters into your dreams no, no. it's wild yeah. like i kept uh. thinking i should go back to link's house like i kind of forgot that that existed mm-hmm. and then just never remembered to do it like every time between dungeons i'd be like oh yeah the and then forget like, <laughs> yeah, as far as i know the only thing that changes is that you get uh you can f- you can fuse a kin stone piece uh, uh, with your, with your no granddad <laughs> yeah that's about all uh yeah. But no, I thought the side quests in this game were, I mean, they're Zelda side quests. A lot of them are very similar to other Zelda side quests. But this one in particular was fucked up. Because you, like, <laughs> go into this room and it's in Simon's Simulations, which is already, like, That's when a- did the word simulation come into, <laughs> like, come into existence? Yeah, Probably I'm- not on this timetable. Exactly. Like, like 1910 is where I'd peg simulation <laughs> as being, like, coined in the lexicon. So this dude it goes, like, Hey, we hear there's a challenge. You want to take the challenge? It's 10 rupees. And you're like, oh, well, I guess, sure. And he goes, go lay down in that bed. And you're like, <laughs> uh, and like you look over there and you're like, that's just a bed. Like, that's all that's in this building. That's weird. But, like, it's got all this machinery around it. Like, some fucking weird sci-fi equipment. Okay. That actually feels very Zelda to me. Like, the, uh, the Akala Research Lab. Right, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Think that, but they used it for, like, weird amusements. <laughs> yeah. Like, fucked up amusements. <laughs> but then you just fight monsters and it gives you a heart piece, and that's uh, it. Okay. It gets real easy, real short, but it's, like, alarmingly short, because you feel like there should be so much more to this, and it just isn't. <laughs> so, you know, big ups to Simon's simulations, I guess. Glad that ended as well as it did. That could have gone to some dark places. Ooh, it could have been real bad, yeah. <laughs> I didn't really engage with the side content that much, uh, not because of anything about the game specifically, more, it's like, I had, like, weird, like, worries that, like, 
we were going to be in a hollow night situation with this with this game where we get really close to recording it and like both of you had like just started it so we would have to push the episode back like for some reason i had this premonition that neither of you were going to play the game right so like i was running through it real fast i'm like i gotta get this game in chat because like no one's gonna play minish cap don't know why i thought this so strong well see you had that you had a premonition but actually neither jj nor i are gonna play any of kingdom hearts 3 right yeah (laughs) that's classic us hating on kingdom hearts 3 (laughs) but yeah so i kind of like sped through the game to get it to chad and didn't really uh take my time (laughs) yeah no that's fair (laughs) and also like the the side content in this game is just like other side content in zelda games i would say it's at like it's probably in the better half but like the better half of side content in a zelda game is like a gray seven like it's the most benign sort of like there's some stuff that always stands out Mm -hmm. and in this game it was a weird bed (laughs) that's where we're looking yeah for me like how well the side content comes off depends on how much i like the main game Mm -hmm. like the ones the zelda games that i really like i end up just wanting to spend more time in and therefore do the side content yeah and the ones that i'm not as hot on i i don't do much of it at all I finished this game as fast as I possibly could and ignored pretty much everything that was in my way of doing that. People, it's not really a world I wanted to be immersed in. Kind of felt like a world I'd been in before. Kind of felt like the Chicago of worlds and video game standards. I mean, I guess Hyrule is kind of like Chicago. <laughs> Well, you're not going to riff off that, Andy? I, was Where gonna, are your I feel like jokes? there's almost no way to riff off that. I was going to say something stupid, uh, but I decided there, not to. Was there something that you wanted to go into, or did you want to uh, go into Final Thoughts? I did want to call out the music in this game. I thought the music in this game was really great for a GBA game. Like, And I think spe- it specifically appealed to me a lot. So I feel like they used a lot of like these MIDI sound effects from like the N64 mm-hmm. like there was like the the Hyrule Castle Town theme specifically had this one instrument that's really prominent in one of the themes in Mario 64 uh. and I was like it just it gave me a nostalgic feeling I, I had and I'm glad that we're talking about this on the second half because my intention when I go to edit this is to use music that is like specific to Minish Cap as opposed to like Zelda music generally uh-huh. and I think one of the interesting things they did whoever the composer was I didn't look it up uh, they they used sort of like it, like you can tell the songs that are unique to this game because they used a really different sort of like instrumentation than is normally used and particularly and probably the one I'm gonna start the episode with is the the Minish Woods. Theme. That's a good one. It's really good and it has like this very prominent bass line and things like that, which are things that just you don't hear in Zelda music a lot. It's a lot of like sort of your woodwinds and shit, like playing the the happy melodies mm-hmm. or your uh, heavy strings when it comes to like the darker periods. Yeah, it's usually more ambient in the dungeons too. Mm-hmm. And this is it took a lot more active role. I did like it a lot. Yeah, I did actually want to jump back to one thing real quick, yeah. which is the Sky Temple. Mm-hmm. is fucking weird also because we mentioned how this game takes everything that it does well more or less from other Zelda games and I feel like the the Sky Temple is where uh, Capcom was like we're gonna do this is gonna be the Capcom dungeon because <laughs> it's not like the other dungeons it doesn't it there's like 
elements of it that sometimes loop around and you like get a key and then go back to a door and then go through the door but a lot of it is like a platforming challenge and like lots yeah. of combat and weird shit yeah. going on it feels like two dungeons put together or a dungeon and a half a dungeon put together because like the first half is just like a gauntlet yeah and then you get to like a fake out boss and then you get to a second half where it's like more of a traditional like shorter dungeon mm-hmm. and i thought that was cool like i appreciated the attempts like i also mentioned with the temple of droplets to like mix up the zelda dungeon formula yeah it just struck me as very weird. yeah it was definitely weird i don't know if i would call it like totally successful but i liked <laughs> i liked that they did that yeah uh i do also just that fake out boss uh i don't know if anybody else saw this happen because you have to be bad like chad to Mm -hmm. to do it but if he knocks you off of the ledge that you're on with the shield bash he like laughs at you like he puts (laughs) his hands on his hips and like throws his head in the air that's pretty good i did not see that it's very good i'm a big fan of of that do we have final thoughts uh, I guess I'll go first. It's just like kind of the tradition now that I go first, I it guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a little bit. We like pressure. We do the uh, the the round table when I introduce the podcast. Yeah, I'm sure. yeah you know, and then we reverse. reverse it for the final thoughts. <laughs> I like that. It's it's uh, it's poetry. It's like poetry. It's sort of they run. Yeah, this game came off as kind of feeling a little bit too standard or like by the numbers to me. In a lot of ways, uh, I mean, I'm, part of that I think is a, at least my fault for playing through it so fast when I didn't really need to. But uh, that being said, I still did enjoy this game. I do like 2D Zelda a lot. I like 2D like top-down action adventure. There's not a lot of games like that, uh, so I joined. I enjoyed my time with it. I just I pro- would have liked to see them go more outside the box, but like. That might not even have been their choice. They might have been like told to make it more like form like Zelda formulaic by Nintendo. Who knows? Not me. Right. So yeah, I, I enjoyed this game. I definitely, I think, hold it in higher regard than JJ. Like, I, I, it definitely for me the most okay game we've done on the podcast was Assassin's Creed Two, <laughs> and I would definitely put this above that by a few steps, at, at least. So that's gonna be my final thoughts. I feel like Assassin's Creed 2 versus Minish Cap will be something that will now possess my mind for days to come in terms of which I ever have to actually decide on. We have, we've had some extreme mediocrity over the years that we've come. Uh, and honestly, Chad, no, I don't have final thoughts. That's, that's how I feel about this game. You know what this game is. You have, you, I assume you've played The Legend of Zelda at some point in your life. You know what the game is. It does absolutely nothing outside of that framework that will surprise you. It has kind of a witty bird hat uh, and is otherwise a video game that is similar to things you might have played as a kid. Got some pretty pictures of acorns and other small things that are bigger than you'd expect them to be. It's a game. You'll have fun with it. I I think it's a little bit too expensive now. I'm under the impression that it's old. Get it on. If you got like a cartridge version, yeah. Yeah. If you got like that one friend who just like eats up, he's just like too obsessed with certain things in his life, and there's some element of Minish Cap that like will feed into that obsession, you can feed it to that person. It's like some additional like nine, ten hours that he can spend in his life on that obsession, whether it be about like Zelda bird hats like elf people <laughs> yep. 
know, whatever. Like really tiny thing. <laughs> yeah. yeah but if you have a Wii U, it's only ten bucks. That's true. Yeah, it's yeah. Probably worth it. That yeah. Price. But yeah. you probably don't have one. You know what? That's a good way to describe this. This is the ten dollar Zelda game. It's not bad. It's like exactly worth that price and the amount of time I spent with it to me. It's completely fine. Have fun. What's funny is that a link to the past, the most recent time that I purchased the game, cost me seven ninety nine, <laughs> and that is definitely. I've played that game a lot of times, so... Good deal. Is, uh, yeah. Anyway, I did actually want to mention, because we just never said Ezlo's name even <laughs> one time, uh, that I actually don't really like him as a character very much. Uh, like, they did a, a really tropey and uninteresting uh, thing with him. I kind of liked how cheeky he was. He had kind of like a Kazooie vibe to me. That might be my exact problem with him. Uh, <laughs> that he kept talking down to me. Fair like, enough, yeah. fair enough. Uh, I also wanted to mention, because uh, I just thought of this, that I appreciate that Ganon was not the bad guy. Yeah. Instead, we had popular Dark Souls uh, <laughs> <laughs> video producer, body video. Yeah. Not a particularly like great character or anything. I just like that he was different. He's a horrible character. Oh, wait. Horrible. He was a bland character. I guess this is That's no fair. longer final thoughts. I've stolen your thoughts from you, Chad. This is fine. This is something that I, I didn't think was even worth talking about, like many elements uh, of this experience. But, like, I would have preferred Ganon, because at least Ganon uh. has, like, is kind of scary to me, and Ganon has this history implied by his presence. Whereas this guy, I, I think he's in other games, I think, because I've recognized that ball thing from somewhere that he turns into. But, like... He's just a guy. He's just an evil guy. We're given no explanation. He's like the evil See, apprentice trope incarnate with no differentiating features. Yeah, I would still take that with like an interesting character design over Ganon again for like the 18th time. I don't think his design's that cool, but maybe I'll leave I'll leave what you think to be cool up to you. Okay. JJ truly discovering the true meaning of subjectivity. <laughs> <laughs> and his heart grew through sizes, sizes that at least in my opinion. Uh, <laughs> so I think uh, being the person on the podcast who I imagine had actually the best time with this game because I didn't A, rush it, and B, dismiss it outright. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I enjoyed my time, uh, but it I feel like a lot of it is just because I like this this style or this game that I've played multiple times, as we've mentioned, mm -hmm. uh, a lot. Uh, I kind of got a similar feeling to when I was playing A Link Between Worlds, the 3DS uh, Zelda game. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't think this game is like that caliber or anything. It's more just like something about playing new Zelda content that is like the handheld versions tend to be a little bit easier than the other games so i just kind of get to sit and just like do it and it feels like a very solitary and like reflective experience <laughs> and like a little bit nostalgic and a little bit uh you know it's just just engaging enough for me to like really kind of sink into it and enjoy mm -hmm. it and sit there and play it and like i played this game over the course of three sittings didn't I didn't quite finish it if I'm being honest uh but just like in these five to six hour chunks for the most part so uh you heard it here first folks if you want to have an experience where you sit alone in a room <laughs> and just passively absorb things and don't really expand your horizons or learn new things in any way 
We've got the perfect video game for you. It this will is... entertain you exactly as much <laughs> as it needs to to keep you there. No I feel more. like this is something that we've had this discussion about before, where it was like it like the, on the podcast. Even I'm I'm positive that it was just like sometimes I just like to play a game as like passive entertainment as opposed to active, and I feel like this game sort of fills that role. Oh yes, it does. It's like the. <laughs> Actually, I have no comparison that's not going to make this JJ's being so snarky. <laughs> you know what? I've changed my opinion. Minish Cap's the best game ever. <laughs> this is my number three best game of all time. <laughs> I feel bad for Gunther. He's going to be so sad that JJ hated his, the game he suggested. I don't hate it. I think it's, I think it's Thanksgiving uh, leftovers. JJ, you just said I hate the Minish Cap so much. <laughs> You're putting f- different food metaphors in my mouth than I wanted it in my mouth. Thank you for listening to Noclip this week. What are we talking about next time? Hold on. Actually, let's run this back. What are we talking about next time, guys? Kingdom Hearts! <laughs> Three. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. Tell next- us with the power of darkness. Uh, so next time uh, that we get together to record a podcast... We are going to be talking about Kingdom Hearts 3, and uh, so it's going to be JJ and Andy talk about Kingdom Hearts 3 with special guests from me. Uh, <laughs> Waited 13 years or whatever. Yeah. Mm-hmm. This is this is a big event, and we'll see sort of how it turns out yeah. as far as like the podcast goes. We might end up with like kind of a, an extra, a real extra episode. It might, yeah. So we'll see how that goes. Until that time you can get a hold of us all of our contact information is on our website at noclippodcast.com or on splattershot.pro uh you can find all of our contact information which includes email address our twitter links to our youtube page you can find our podcast on itunes on google play uh and you know go ahead and leave us a rating and a review uh and then contact us about sending us lots of money in sacks with dollar bills flying out of it and a big dolly sign painted on the side. Coming to a point, like, the point of this podcast. Yeah, it's like a singular point. Mm -hmm. Like we have, we're always so focused. (laughs) Dude, you're so right. I am. Because I'm so focused. Yeah. On the point. Like that other time you were right. Do you remember that? Yeah, like all the time.